Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 26 of Glass City Game Time, one of America's great sports podcasts brought to you by The Blade. My name is Corey Crisson, and thanks for listening once again and sticking with us during the coronavirus pandemic, I guess, era, we could say, of this podcast. The show still goes on, and today we do so by talking Toledo Mud Hens baseball. And I know that there are no games going on right now, but still plenty of notes and news to discuss as we are searching still for that settled opening day that we can get back to some normalcy within the sports world. Today we bring in a special guest to do so, and any Toledo baseball fan would recognize this name and this voice that joins me today. It is longtime Hall of Fame broadcaster Jim Weber. Jim has been with the Mud Hens since 1975, and he has seen, needless to say, countless thousands of players, of games, of moments, of memories, and of course he has lived through tens of opening days. And Jim and I cover quite a bit within this podcast. We talk, of course, about the lack of an opening day this year, and he had something interesting to say about his favorite opening day memory. So we'll get into that. We'll talk about the potential that this Toledo Mud Hens team could have in the 2020 season as Baseball America crowned the Mud Hens as a super team that was about a month and a half ago here in a column they posted. Jim kind of breaks down what we could expect to see once baseball and at least some kind of a normalcy returns here to Toledo this season. And we also talked about some potential radical changes that could be coming to baseball as well. Of course, Major League Baseball, it's been put out there that a realignment could take place for this season to play games without fans, and those would take place in Arizona and in Florida. How could that affect the Toledo Mudhens? Could that expand some rosters in the majors, which means that the Mudhens roster could look different than maybe we would expect? It could be an interesting dynamic to look forward to, and it's more than just baseball. It's about economics and it's about finances. And Jim really brings us into that and brings us inside what goes on in the business of minor league baseball just a little bit. So enjoy this 20 minutes or so with Jim Weber, and I will talk to you at the end of the podcast. Jim, before we kind of get into what's going on around us and what we're dealing with with this pandemic and the season not getting underway when we all wanted it to, a couple of weeks ago we learned that perhaps the greatest Detroit Tiger to ever suit it up, Al Kaline, passed away. What were your thoughts when you came across that news and how that could impact Tiger Nation around here? Well, you know, I'm one of those... Uh was lucky enough to watch them play because I'm older, obviously, and uh, I enjoyed the big seasons they had, 67, 68, when they won it all through most of his years, but, you know, uh, not too many people ever went from high school to Major League Baseball like he did, and he was just a great guy. If you read all the the things people have been saying the past few days since he died, uh, you know, they call him Mr. Tiger, what a great guy, which he was, and, you know, one of the better Tiger players ever, so it's... uh, I guess I'm fortunate that I was able to watch him play quite a bit. What were some of your memories, your fondest memories of 
either watching him play or maybe if you got to know him a little bit, what were some of those memories for you? Well, basically the the big season uh, in 1968 when they were either tied or trailing after the seventh inning and won 40 of those games wound up beating St. Louis, you know, for the for the world title. Of course, there was a lot of big players on that team, but he always was, you know, the leader. And and you had a lot of big names, you know, like Norm Cash and Willie Horton, all the rest of them. So I remember those days because back then I was in my early 20s. And, uh, and he was always right in the center of everything. And, uh, you know, if some pitcher would knock him down, that was the worst thing they could do. He'd get right back up and stand in. Usually he'd hit the ball hard somewhere if not getting a hit. So, you know, I always remember that about him. If a pitcher came inside and knocked him down, he'd get right back up and dig in and slam the ball somewhere. All of those dominant years, really from the mid-50s to the late 60s, was there one from him that really stood out to you? No, not really, because he did things all the time. You know, there was, uh, I mean, there were big moments, but if he were still alive, he'd probably tell you the same thing. You know, he probably couldn't pick just one out. Or maybe he could, but he did it all the time. So it was hard to just pick one moment for him. He had a lot of great moments. Jim, you've been a Mudhens broadcaster for a long time. And the coronavirus pandemic that we are all dealing with, and I've said this on podcasts past in doing these, it's not just an Ohio thing or a Michigan thing or a baseball thing or a football thing. It's an everything kind of thing. Can you remember or recall a time where Maybe the sports world was impacted by such an unprecedented event or anything like this that we're going through right now? No, it happens like once every hundred years or so, and most of us aren't going to live that long. Uh, the only other incidents that came along that affected us, of course, were the strikes. I've seen several baseball strikes. Some of those were pretty serious, but nothing like this. And, you know, as everybody's been saying, the uh, the virus doesn't stop at state lines or different sports stadiums. So we really do have to kind of stay apart from each other for a while. I think it's going to last a while. I hope that we get to play you know, some kind of season this year. But right now, that's in doubt. I hope we get to at least, whether it's with fans or without fans, I hope we do get to see some action is, I think, what we're all craving right now. Obviously, doing it in the safe way, the safest way possible is priority. So... Hopefully we can get back to some of that. If the season were going as scheduled, then Thursday would have been the home opener for the Mudhens, and you've seen your fair share of them. I know that minor league baseball wasn't what it is now, but maybe just from the spectrum of either calling a game or observing at the AAA level, how has that game evolved, and how have you seen it evolve? Well, believe it or not, uh, that's one thing about baseball. It hasn't changed much, you know. You still have uh, the bases are 90 feet and the uh, home plate, what, 17 inches wide and 60 feet, 6 inches from the mound of the plate. So a lot of things haven't changed. The equipment has changed. Uh, like, you know, they're making bats better now. I don't think we'll ever see aluminum. But, you know, these guys are using these hard bats and they, they break a lot more. So, so the equipment's a little bit better, but the game really hasn't uh, changed much. But there's better... Uh, workout programs now. In days, guys would just lay around all winter, maybe work a second job, then they really need spring training, you know, to get ready. They don't need that much anymore. Now when they come down to Florida or Arizona, they're only down a week or 10 days. They're playing exhibition games. So that's the one big change is that uh, these kids coming out now seem to be in better shape. A lot more independent trading over the course of the offseason. And 
now, like you mentioned, going into spring training, these players are more ready. Once they arrive to their minor league destinations, sometimes that drop-off could come along, whether it's with promotions or getting sent up or down, or it depends on what the organization really has for these players. But have you seen the, at least maybe from the Tigers organization point of view, have you seen anything change within regards to how they're trying to develop players? And of course that might change with some of the front office uh, personnel that's in place and maybe their vision for the organization. Well, yeah, it changes. And of course it all comes down from the top. When uh, Mr. Elliott Sr. was still alive, he was spending a lot of money to try and win a world series before he died. And that didn't happen. But uh, so, you know, they've tried to up their, uh, up their game in the minor leagues, which is very important. Just a couple of years ago, they were rated near the bottom. Now they're in the top 10. Of course, we're going to have a lot of the big prospects uh, playing for us if we play this year, especially in the pitching department. And I think if we do get to play, they're talking about maybe uh, playing about three weeks in the September, which we normally wouldn't do, just to try and get a decent amount of games in. So that will have a lot to do with it. Plus, these guys are going to have to loosen up again. And by that, they're going to have to have another two to four weeks spring training. That would delay things even more. But if we could get uh, 60 to 90 games, and I think that's better than nothing. However, you mentioned playing baseball. Well, at the major league level, they could do it like in Arizona, which they're talking about, without fans. We probably, minor league baseball probably can't survive without fans. We need that gate money. You need that several thousand dollars that you're taking at the gate and everything else that goes with minor league baseball, all the uh, souvenirs and concessions and everything. If we played with no fans, I think we'd have to be supported by Major League Baseball to pull that off. You know, you bring that up with the potential radical alignment that's been thrown around there about playing games in Arizona and Florida exclusively. What are your thoughts surrounding that? Well, at least it would be something. And I think the players would not mind it. They would rather do that than sit around for a year and do nothing. Uh, by nothing, I mean, you know, in-game competition is what you really need. You know, just just throwing uh, to a target or playing catch with uh, one of your battery mates, that's not the same as, you know, live in-game competition. That's what they need. That's what they want. And they would probably do that. And again, if it's without fans, Major League Baseball could afford that. And we may see that. Who knows? Jim, over the course of your career, you've called numerous opening days. And while it's not an official holiday on the American calendar, some would say it's the perhaps most important or the most prevalent unofficial holiday that we celebrate. What's always been your attitude towards opening day? What feelings do you get going into the ballpark for the first time for that regular season? Well, when I was younger, you know, it was probably more exciting than it is now because I've done, done almost 6,000 of these things. Not opening days, but total games. So... But there's nothing like an opener, and especially uh, at our place. We're using that twelve to 13,000 range, and, you know, it's, it's a huge, I look at it as being a huge party, and that's what it is. All the establishments uh, downtown open early, like 8 or 9 in the morning, and and uh, I've already talked to people uh, after an opener that had tickets but never got there because they didn't get themselves out of a bar or a restaurant, so hmm. but, uh, it's just a, it's a big party day is what it is, and Win or lose, doesn't matter. Everybody seems to want to be there. I can't really speak much to Toledo opening days. This is really my first go-around with the Mud Hens and being in Toledo for Hens baseball. But the fans really do come out in droves to see them. It's kind of that transition from walleye hockey into Mud Hens baseball. 
And with the weather getting nicer and school obviously letting out, that's just more reason to go party, I suppose. Yeah, we always do better in the summer months once uh, school is out. Of course, you know, the way it looks now, I don't think we're going to have any more school this year. We have four school uh, morning games every year, and I doubt we're going to get those in unless we can get things going in May. Uh, three of them, I think, are scheduled May and one in April. But those are also big days for the kids. It gets them out of school, and, you know, the crowds are uh, huge, anywhere from eight to 10 to 11,000 for those. So there's a lot of days people look forward to that we may not see this year. Last week, our Brian Bucky, who covers the Mud Hens for the Blade, he posted a column with really just a few different memorable opening days, whether it was home openers or some on the road. He went back really to about 2002 and 2003 for some of these. Was there one opening day or maybe a couple of opening day games that stuck out to you and that you can recall as very memorable? Well, you know what? No, actually... Not really, because after that first game, you still got 141 or 139, depending on the schedule, to go. So one game doesn't seem like much. Like I said, it's basically a, a party. And I looked over the, the sheets back to 2000, and it's been pretty even between winning uh, openers on the road and winning them at home. But when you know it's such a long season, and you know the old uh, saying in baseball is, it's, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So really that one game doesn't mean much. Sometimes the last uh, two or three games are a lot more exciting if you're in the, if you're in the running. But uh, again, you could win or lose those openers, and everybody's having a great time. I'm glad you have that perspective because the way I've always seen opening day is it is that festive atmosphere. And I guess whether the team wins or loses, whether it's the Mud Hens or the Indians or the Tigers, win or lose, we know that this game is still back. So. Unfortunately, we're not at that point quite yet this year, and as you said, hopefully we do get back to that pretty soon here. Actually, our last two home openers, uh, three years ago we lost our home opener to Indianapolis, and you usually start in the division. And then, in uh, actually it was unusual, but in 2018 we started against the North team, Pawtucket beat them, and then last year our home opener was on the 4th of April. The reason it's back further this year is because uh, – we backed the schedule up from Labor Day. Well, every six or seven years, Labor Day switches back. And I think, uh, what was it last year? Labor Day was on the second. So now this year, it, it went back uh, several days. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we won the last two home openers, but we won big openers on the road, too. It seems like every time we went to Louisville early in the season, we'd go down there and take three out of four or four out of four. I'm not sure why, but that just happened several times. Yeah, one common thread that I've noticed here in some of these is Louisville, Indianapolis, a couple at Durham. Not to say that the International League schedules a certain way each time, but it seems like a lot of these ones that at least Brian recalled came against Louisville. So from a travel standpoint, I suppose, maybe within you know division play or intra-division play, then the scheduling kind of adjusts to that way. So it's almost a common thread that you can loop through some of those games. Well, actually, that's the way it should be. We shouldn't play out of the division to start the season because there's a lot of uh, cancellations early. And if you stay in your division, you play those teams a lot. So you can make those up. Uh, I can give you an example. One year when Richmond was still in the league, they went to Buffalo. Buffalo, which was one of the worst weather spots in our league in April. They went up there and didn't play a game for four days. They sat there for four days, never got a game in, and that's when the league decided we got to get smarter on this. So for the most part now, you know, for the first week or two, you're going to stay in your own division, which uh, is the smart thing 
to do because you play your own teams, or we do at least. You know, you play them like 15, 18, 20 times a season, you have plenty of time to make those up. Jim, kind of in a season preview mode mindset that I'm in right now, and you've seen the players that could potentially be in Toledo this year, and there's been a lot of words written about the potential that this team could have as it, Baseball America went as far as to say a super team. From what you've studied and maybe who you could take a gander at who's going to be on the Mudhens roster once play resumes, what's your outlook for the season? Well, when they talk about uh, you know one of the best minor league teams, that's all based on the pitching. Although it looks like we've got some pretty good young guys coming up uh, position-wise too, but you know, they're going with uh, what they know about Casey Mize and Matt Manning and Derek Skubal and Alex Fajardo and then some other guys we've had before that will probably be back, like uh, uh, John Schreiber, Kyle Funkhauser, Bo Burles. Those are all pitchers and all pretty good ones. So in the pitching department, we're looking pretty strong. But then we've got uh, Isaac Paredes, everyone's talking about, will probably uh, be with us at third base. Willie Castro looks like he'll be back. And uh, in the outfield, Daz Cameron, who we had last year, and then a couple of younger guys, Troy Stokes and Derek Hill. And then Jake Rogers, who got up to Detroit last year, is going to start with us as the catcher. And But, but you're going to see a lot of movement because Detroit is still a ways away, I think, for really contending. And we'll probably see as much, if not uh, more movement this year. But then again, it depends if we get to play many games. And if we don't play too many, they may move even quicker. So it's a huge question mark for this year. We could read a ton about Casey Mize and Matt Manning as two of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball, but what are your thoughts surrounding their talents and not just what they could bring to the Bud Hens, but their future potentially as big leaguers? Well, so far so good. Of course, as you go up the ladder, it gets tougher. But uh, if you look at Manning and uh, Mize, what they did last year, which I like to go by is walks to strikeouts, their ratios were fantastic. I don't have it in front of me, but, you know, it was like uh, if, if uh, they issued 40 walks, they had 190 strikeouts, you know, and if you can do better than 2-1, to one, you're going to do great. And then another guy that nobody talked about much that's going to be right in that mix is Derek uh, Spubel. He uh, struck out 179 last year and only walked 37. I mean, those, those ratios are unbelievable. So, again, the pitching is what they're – they're hoping we'll develop quicker because obviously they want to move those guys up. Probably not this year. Maybe not even next year if we don't play much this year. Good young pitching and a mix of players that have been at the AAA level before in the lineup. And yeah, this could be a dangerous Mudheads team this season. Jim, before I let you go, looking at the outlook potentially on what Major League Baseball could bring forward. We talked about the potential radical realignment. How do you think that does trickle down into the minors? It's going to be interesting to see because they also talked about running 50-man rosters, which would take a lot of guys out of the AAA level. Uh, and maybe they're thinking that the minor leagues won't, uh, won't be able to do much, as I said, unless they help out how well we could survive without getting those crowds of five, eight, ten, twelve thousand 12,000 people in there. It's just figured out at an average of about $15 a pop. That's quite a bit of money that you're taking at the gate. And then there's a lot of other things that go into it. So it would be a huge income loss if, if we tried to play without fans at our level. Could be a huge income loss, but do you think it's possible? Uh, I guess I, would have to be, I think we'd have to be subsidized. And um, 
I thought maybe we could just play a limited schedule in our own divisions to um, uh, keep the travel costs down. But then uh, talking with one of the league officials, they thought, well, it's not if we played at all. Whatever date we started, we would just pick up with the schedule that should have been, uh, you know, going already. So, but then that would be an unbalanced schedule. For example, we're already going to miss our two trips to Gwinnett. Uh, and I'm not sure about when they come back here, but it would not be an even schedule, but I don't think anybody's worried about that. They just want to get some games in and keep these guys active. There's a needle to be found in the haystack. I think we can say that. Where Whenever the time comes, I think they'll try to find it. So I'm curious because I think there's a lot of different ways that the major league and the minor league season could go. And I don't want to go as far as to say that the minor league season couldn't go on because I think it needs to. But whether it's with fans, without fans, how they could organize that, that's all going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, and then here's another thing that you have to think about. Right now, the states are all, uh, you know, operating, operating as individuals, which uh, which they should because some areas are more dangerous. So let's say we can play in Ohio, but we can't play in New York. Okay, we can't play in New York. We can't play in Syracuse. We can't play in Rochester. We can't play in Buffalo. If Ohio stays, uh, you know, the same way that they are right now under Governor DeWine, then, then you can't play in uh, Toledo or Columbus. So. If every state says, okay, let's play, that would help. But if a couple of states say, no, we're in bad shape, we're not going to allow it, then what do you do? You know, then your whole schedule's messed up again. So there's a whole lot of things here to overcome. Let's hope that they overcome enough that we can get something in this year. Yeah, it's more than just layers of building a roster and getting them all here. It's the fact that they do have a schedule to play, and there's all of these government issues and even the economic issues as well with travel and that's the thing that people really don't realize as much as that you guys do travel a lot. So I know you're down in Florida right now where the weather's probably better than it is here. Would you, would you believe it if I told you it's snowing today? Yeah, I saw that. I saw that in the news that it was going to be snowing. It was snowing this morning in Chicago, and I knew it was coming that way. And, you know, down here it could use a little relief. I wouldn't have been here except that the season's delayed, so I had to get some work done down here. But um, I'm ready to come back quickly if we can get things going let's hope we can well we're hoping to get you up here pretty soon jim thanks for the time and thank you for the wisdom as always and we definitely look forward to talking to you pretty soon here hopefully we get some baseball going as well all right thanks for my thanks again goes to jim for taking time out of his schedule to do this with us and Again, Jim had some great insight when it came to not just Major League Baseball and what's going on with the pandemic putting some games on hold and with the Toledo Mudhens with games being put on hold for now as well, but getting back to baseball, unfortunately, it doesn't seem as easy as maybe we want it to be. We can get back to it. It's just a matter of how they're going to get back to it. So as Jim alluded to just a little bit, there are a few hoops that will have to be jumped through, but let's still hold that optimism that we will see baseball at fifth, third field this season. Thanks again to Jim, and thank you again for listening, those of you at home. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to subscribe and share this episode, or you could share previous episodes of Glass City Game Time. There are plenty of ways to find us each week. You can find us on ToledoBlade.com. You can find us on Blade News Slide. 
And you can find us where podcasts are found, looking at Google Play, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. So that's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again to Jim. Thank you again. And my name is Corey Crisson. We will talk to you next week right here on Glass City Game Time. <laughs>